Is it time? This is the My New Norm podcast. And I'm your host, Barry Scott Young. And now, on with the show. I'm guessing quite a few of my listeners today have been greeted upon arrival in Hawaii with a beautiful lei. It's interesting how a flower can change someone's life. And in this episode, you'll hear how one did. My guest today is Mike Atkinson. He is a plumerian farmer in Southern California and what a story he has. Get ready to hear a great conversation with my passionate friend. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Aloha. (laughs) I love it. Hey, Mike, I was trying to think, as you were too, where we last saw each other, and it would have to be in the 80s or 90s. Oh, yeah. In the same room. Goodness. It must have been some production or some youth thing. Yeah. uh, Youth specialties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 You know, it was probably youth specialties. I came to the office many a time. Yeah. Oh, it's probably the Youth Workers Network. Um, oh, yeah. You, prob- right. you probably helped me out with the Youth Swap Meet. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah. My Remember goodness. that? Because I, I bring a ton of stuff we wanted to get rid of at White Yeah. House. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. And uh, youth pastors would bring their stuff, and we just had an yeah. awesome day Next at trading change. up uh, resources. So, yeah. well, Mike, yeah. I know a lot about you, and then again, I don't. Um, probably the best way to start is probably, probably to go back. I don't even know this. What kind of kid were you growing up in San Diego? Like my personality? Was I a good kid, bad kid in trouble all the time? Yeah. What were you like? If you look back at your childhood? No, it was, it was a great childhood. It was a, it was a weird one. It was, uh, I was born in 60. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Well, it was weird in that it was uncommon. And so, I was born in 1960, and I was an illegitimate child, although my mother didn't tell me that until I was 23. Is that right? That was an interesting conversation. Uh, Yeah, it was. well, you know, after the first, you know, 20 seconds of shock, it was like, eh, doesn't matter, you know? I mean, you know, bottom bottom line, it didn't really make a difference. So, yeah, um, you're here. So... But, but, you know, but I was the child of a single mother in elementary school, and it was very, very uncommon. And it just, you know, divorce wasn't that big of a deal back then. And it wasn't as widespread as it is, it came, became later. And so, um, but I never felt that, and I never acted differently. And I don't think anybody yeah. acted differently to me, um, except um, in high school, um, at Christian high school, you know, it was the absolute perfect, you know, Christian environment and, you know, all the, all the moms and dads and everything. And, and here my mom's living with a guy and, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of strange. And there was one of the principals that took me under his wing and, and kind of helped me through some of that. I had a rough go when I got there. And, and so um, it was, I mean, that was a very different environment that I was not used to. And so that took some time. And so there were some very uh, merciful 
human beings in, in my path during those days that allowed me to actually, you know, be there for four years and not get kicked out. Yeah. You know, did you grow up with a bike and you left the house in the morning, didn't come Dude, back until, every, yeah, every yeah. single day. And, you know, I out with my friends, whatever. I mean, you know, I live, I lived over in what is called city Heights now and just great places to ride all around there. The, the coolest nice. uh, story about that was my mom worked at a, at a accountant firm, uh, in the Mr. A's building down close to downtown San Diego uptown. And, um, she would have to work a lot of Saturdays. And so we would stuff my bike in her car and we would, uh, we'd get there and I would jump on that bike. She would go to work and I took off and I know every path in Balboa park. I know every, oh. every place. I mean, the zoo back then was free for yeah. kids 16 and under. I just walked in. Oh, you know, my. yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, my. So, what a great childhood. Yeah. It was crazy. And they had great, you know, playgrounds and all that. And, you know, I mean, yeah. gosh, can you imagine doing that today? Oh my gosh. Oh, she'd be arrested. My. So yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was wild. And, and it actually kind of stopped because I had a really bad experience with some creeper in a, in a men's room and, and I was probably 12 or 13 and he just, he was weird. And I just got out of there as quick as I could and, uh, and never did it again. So yeah, it was wild. What were the things that you, uh, were into like your hobbies or your interest? Because I know you're real creative. So I'm thinking, what was he into? You know, when I got into high school, I was absolutely um, pulled to the newspaper, the school paper. And so I became the sports editor, even though I'd never played sports in my life and (laughs) watch it, you know, but it's like, all right, well, you can write, you can be the, you can be the sports editor. And, um, but man, but it was a great community of people here again. I'm in this, you know, strange high school, very weird environment, radically different climate that I grew up in. And, yeah. uh, but it gave me this small group of, uh, of friends, just one of the most amazing teachers of my life. He my journalism teacher was fantastic. Who was that? Do you remember? Ted Hansen was his name, and um, okay. he went on after that and started his own creative agency downtown. And uh, he was just uh, he was he was uh, fish out of water in that environment, you know. I he see. He was very much into into the arts, and um, you know, not exactly uh, typical in the conservative Baptist world back then. So, um, <laughs> so he didn't last long. Let's just say that. Um, but I, uh, I had a, I, that was just a fantastic experience for me and it brought out this writing that I love doing. Yeah. Um, I, and I went into drama and, and, you know, no actually way. I got to tell you the beginning of my drama career was, um, where I lived, I was right across the street from my junior high school and I think seventh grade had just ended summer school started like the next Monday. So I go over to the school and I'm just walking around the campus, you know, classes already started and stuff, but I'm just checking out and, and, and there's a second story. And I mean, I can still see this, this just beautiful girl leans over the, the railing. Hey, you, yeah, you got a class or anything? I'm like, no, I'm not even in summer school. And she's like, we only need one more student to have drama class. That's it. Otherwise, where they're going to cancel us. And I'm like, okay, whatever you say. 
Roxanne Cantos, that was her name. And we actually oh, got my. back in touch with each other years later. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget, I got the lead in a Reader's Theater of Charlotte's Web. And I went, no. oh, I, I like this. I can do this, you know. And so, you know, as later in life, as I got to know my dad, who, you know, was, was I, I didn't meet him till I was um, 19. Um, you know, oh, he was, okay. a, and you, as you well know, he was a, yeah. a, a, a TV news anchorman for, for 40 years and, right, um, right. and found out that, you know, I mean, and everybody tells you, oh man, you got a voice for radio. I said, yeah, I got a face for radio too. But yeah, so, and it's funny when I'd be at his house, I'd answer the phone and they go, Stan, you know, oh, so it was no. isn't that crazy. So, so yeah, yeah. so we, um, uh, so I really just gravitated, gravitated to all that and I loved it. Well, all that was in you too, you know, all the media was there. Stuff. I didn't know until, yeah, 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 yeah. So then, you know, I did that radio show on B100 here, you know, That's for a right. while on Sunday mornings and played, you know, Christian rock music and, um, and then, uh, and then produced Christian concerts for years and, uh, right. you know, all the way right. from, you know, school gymnasiums to, you know, the big, big stuff downtown and the big halls. Yeah. yeah. You were with uh, Al Manconi there for a while. Yeah. Al, uh, I worked there for nine years, was uh, his okay. director of the ministry. And um, so, yeah, it was, uh, that was a very interesting experience. But what it did is it really gave me, gosh, contacts all over the place, you know, especially mm. in the Christian music industry. So that was, uh, that was kind of a, 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 that was a great experience. I mean, not just with Al, but just, Right. All the people I met that I'm still, you know, in contact with. Right. What was your favorite concert that you were a part of looking back? Oh, goodness. I know there was a lot of them. Gosh, you know, I would say it would probably have to be, it was like the first, when Amy Grant first like launched, you know, in the mainstream and it was that tour, we were at the Fox Theater downtown and I was working with Han and Silva, something like that. That was the big promoter. So they basically hired me to promote it in the, in the churches, in the Christian world. And, I um, see. but that was, it was, you know, it was like the first time you saw this, like a concert that rivaled anything else in the sports arena or anything else. And right, it, it just right. blew, blew my mind and uh, kind of inspired me, you know, for what, what mm -hmm. could be. Yeah. So Definitely. you ended up getting married, a lot of kids. Apparently. Yeah, apparently. So uh, I have, I have eight children, eight, eight children, all from the same woman. And oh, my. Uh, yeah, although we, we kind of cheated, <laughs> we had twins. So, oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. 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 <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, so they're, you know, obviously all adults now and we've got a dozen grandkids and don't, Anybody tell you it's cheaper by the dozen? That's a, a total lie. That's true. Yeah, we love it. You know, it's great. I, you know, I don't know what happened. You know, people go, you know, what causes that? It's like, well, yeah. Look at this. That's why we have all these kids. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was amazing, and I wouldn't want to not have one of them. You know, I mean, weird way to say it, but well, when you were uh, growing your family, you were probably still in at some point ministry, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm working with Al Minconi and, and, you know, I youth for Christ earlier and then later I was on the board yeah. of directors of youth for Christ for many years and then, you know, worked with Al and then went to youth specialties. Um, well, I actually went to right. 
I had, you know, one, one year in the wilderness, uh, managing living epistles, which was like the, big, the first big, crazy, you know, Christian t-shirt company. We moved to Oregon for one year. They had moved up there from Los Angeles and we lived there for one year. So that's the only year we haven't lived in San Diego. Uh, that was, that was a crazy experience, <laughs> crazy, crazy experience, but so many great things that, that happened and great people. And, um, yeah, it was, and that connection came through Alman Cody because when Jeff Nicholson was the founder that started it and he just connected with Al at one of his seminars and he would come down in his, his little Ford Pinto hatchback with a bunch of t-shirts <laughs> and he dropped them off. And then Al would sell them at his seminars, you know, and oh then what, six, seven years later, it was a $10 million company. Oh, you're kidding. So, yeah. No, oh my. no, when I took it over, it was a $10 million company. And so I, I basically, the big thing that happened in my year that I was there is I kind of oversaw it being bought by someone else. And I that see. was quite a process, quite a process. I want to know the challenges that you face. We all do. Most of it is uh, we're unaware or we are not prepared, but we have challenges that we go through in life. You had a major health challenge. Tell us about that. Well, as I'm sure you could relate to, you know, they say you don't appreciate your good health until you lose it. Life was fine and grand and no problem. And uh, uh, it started because my, my blood pressure started to rise and in an unhealthy way. And, and mm -hmm. they ultimately linked it to the fact that I had kidney damage and it was, um, my kidneys were in the process of failing and, yeah. uh, put me through a, a pretty horrific, uh, treatment with, um, prednisone, um, that, uh, that alone almost killed me and it did nothing for me. So when I came out of that treatment, uh, then they started mentioning the T word transplant. So that was, that was an amazing experience. I mean, you know, I, um, yeah, it's one of those things. I don't know how you, you feel about it, but you know, it's like, I, I don't think I'd trade this experience for anything. You know, I wouldn't yeah. want it to not have happened. Um, as hellish as it was, man, it's, it's, it's made me very different. It's made Stacy, my wife, Isn't very different. Isn't that true? And, and uh, yeah, right. So, I mean, I'm sure mm -hmm. you guys experienced that. At what age, Mike, were you experiencing this? 50, 53, 54 okay. is when I got diagnosed. Yeah. And, okay. Um, so I got diagnosed January of uh, 14 and the treatment lasted for about six months. And, um, and then they realized I was going to have to get a transplant. So I just put out the word, you know. Hey, hmm. you know, it was hard for the kids because they all had families, you know, and, and yeah. certainly you lose time at work and all that stuff. I, you know, I, I may not make it through this, but I had 20 people offer. And, really? Uh, my doctors, everybody's like, we've never heard of that many people. And wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm blessed far beyond what I deserve. And um, so it actually uh, came down to a young lady who, as you can imagine, with eight children, we've had many adopted kids in our family <laughs> through the years, became a friend with one of the kids and ended up like living with us. And she was one and she had moved down to San Diego from uh, Northern California and was going to San Diego State and actually was dating a Marine. 
And he happened to be in the same unit as my my son, who was getting ready to go to Iraq. And I had started a, an online family support group for this deployment, and um, and that's how we met. And you know, once I found out, well, you know, she's here alone. She knows nobody. She's you know going to school. I said, "Come out. We got either we had a corn feed or a taco feed or something." And said, "Come on out." And she came out, and never left. Really, kind of. And so she, she that was for a couple of years, and she wow. went to the desert with us. She did everything. And she was one of the first ones to say, I'm in, let's do this. And obviously she was young and healthy and her doctors gave her thumbs up. So she came down that September, though it'd been 2015, got checked. She had to last thing. She had to go through a long series. It's, it's quite a process. So she went through all the stuff that she could do with her doctor. And she came down for a two day test with, with the, the medical group I was with with Scripps. And at the end, it was like two thumb, thumbs up. And the really cool thing was some friends of ours said, Mike, we're doing a, we're going to do a, a golf tournament to help get you through this. So you guys don't, you know, any money you guys lose or anything. And she happened to be there that weekend. And so she was able to come. <laughs> oh my. That, was, that was pretty amazing. So, um, and then, um, and so then I got a call back after they went through all her tests and said, and my transplant coordinator calls me, she goes, well, I've got bad news and I got good news. So, okay. Bad news is she's not a match for you. And the only, hmm. the only reason is, is because she's so small. I mean, she's about, you know, up to here on that. <laughs> and so, you know, that little kidney, if they tried to put it in and go, help me, you know? Um, so, so, um, so they said, you know, we're going to have to put you into the donor exchange program, which is a, a magnificent program that was started many years ago that has saved a lot of lives. So she said, so that's the bad news. Good news is we think you, we have a donor for you and he's actually an in-house donor. We're not even going to have to put you out in the national system. And so they did a few more testing and sure enough, he was a great match for me about a a year younger, but super healthier than I was. And, um, and so we did it uh, December 29th that year, 2015. So we came in that day, the big day, right? And it started with, uh, they had, oh, and what they, the cool part about Emery is that she was a, like, like a golden donor, like, because her, her kidney could go into people that had a hard time getting matches. And so they matched her with a gal named Laurie in Denver. So she went in early in the morning, they took hers out, tested it, put it on a plane to Denver. They put it in Laurie later that day. My Guy would go in, he'd get his done, they'd check it, and then it'd come over to me. So we walk in, check in, and they bring us in for pre-op. I'm wearing a skull cap, and all it says on the front is blessed. Okay. Hmm. And so we're sitting there in, you know, and my pastor's there now. And the the nurse that's the head of the the pre-op comes in and she goes, So um, Mike, do you want to meet your donor? And I said, well, yeah, I've already, you know, given my approval, you know, cause it's a whole process you have to go through and it's after the transplant. Right. And she goes, well, no, he's here now. He'd like to meet you. And I'm like, what? Mm. So he comes over and, you know, he's in the white gown and he's got a funny hat on. He's, he's a character and he's with his caretaker who, because of his donation, she got a kidney, similar situation. They ended up having to do a donor wow. uh, swap. And so, um, <laughs> yeah. And so we're standing there and we're talking and meeting 
and my uh, he meets my pastor and all this stuff. And we, you know, just got a couple minutes because he had to go into, into surgery. And it just blew my mind. And, you know, when my transplant coordinator called, she says, Mike, <laughs> this guy could have been a brother from another mother. So wow. this guy is so much like you. I mean, he's, he comes in, <laughs> he's happy. He makes us laugh, you know, that kind of thing. And she said, it's just, it's, it's just uncanny. And mm. so after the surgery, Heather, his caretaker comes up, spends a few hours. We're just talking and everything about her story, which is amazing. And then the next day before we check out, he came up and mm. but when Heather got there, he said, he, um, uh, we got connected on Facebook, right? Yeah. And so uh, I'm checking out her, her, you know, her profile when she leaves. And there's a picture that her day before that she had taken with Glenn in recovery. And, you know, kind of this kind of thing. And I go, oh, Glenn, I click Glenn's name. And I go to his. And he had posted, a, you know, hey, here's an update. I'm doing great. I feel wonderful. And I even got <laughs> to meet my recipient, which is uh-huh. really uncommon. And he was, he had a a cap on that said blessed and his pastor was there. And I didn't have the heart to tell him that he was getting an atheist Jewish kidney. (laughs) And so, so what I did is I just commented and I just said, atheist no more. (laughs) Oh no. It was an inst- instant conversion when it went into my body. That's right. <laughs> and we have become the closest friends. And oh, uh, a few years later, he actually moved down to San Diego and we get together on a regular basis. And he's a, he's a, special, a special person in my life. And we have a, we have oh, a great that's time a together. Great story. Many people say, Hey, I've got a buddy that's, you know, they're saying his kidneys are failing. You know, can he talk to you? And so I've talked to a ton yeah. of people that way as well. Ah, great story. Well, you're doing something right now that absolutely blew me away. And that is you are basically a plumerian farmer in La Mesa. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I am. And you, you think we were you think we were in the islands with your shirt and my shirt today. I <laughs> know I wore it for you today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how it started, we we moved with the kids into the home that Stacy's that Stacy grew up in. And because her folks had bought a house literally across the street that they had admired for a long time, the husband there had passed away. But he was a botany professor at San Diego State, a very well known one. And he had an amazing collection of rare plants. And so, uh, like I said, her folks bought that place, but couldn't move in until uh, the wild animal park had come to take all these plants out that he had donated to them. Wow. And, uh, but what was left were two or three plumeria, you know, plants. Mm -hmm. We didn't know what they were, but they were pretty and they smelled good. And so, you know, we had it for quite a while and, um, and so one day, one Sunday, Stacy goes over, climbs over the fence and gets a bloom to put in her hair to go to church. And at church, guy comes up to her and says, oh, nice plumeria. And she goes, what'd you call it? She's like, that's what it's called. And he goes, yeah. And so she talked to him about it. Come to find out he was one of the co-founders of the Southern California Plumeria Society here in San Diego. And his son was our, well, you know, Darren Higgins. He, he was our Ted associate Higgins. pastor at the time, Darren Higgins, and this yeah. is Ted, his dad. Yeah. Oh, my. And so he said, actually, 
we have a meeting this afternoon in Balboa Park. Why don't you come with me? She goes, oh, I don't know. We, you know, we have eight kids. I'm not sure Mike can handle it. You know, he's such a whip, you know, that kind of thing. And And so he grabs her arm. He pulls her over to me and says, Mike, I'm taking your wife for the afternoon. Deal with it. So <laughs> the good thing was none of the kids died that day um, and uh, everybody survived. But man, that was no looking back after that. She came home and like, you wouldn't believe all, because all that we had was just that classic white and yellow plumeria that yeah. most people know of. And uh, she goes, there were rainbows and there were reds and there were pinks and there were, you know, oranges. And, and uh, so she was, you know, so that, so she got into it. You know, her one Sunday a month that she went to that meeting, you know, was kind of my day with the kids and mommy's day away. Right. And um, and it wasn't until later. Our, actually, it was our 20th anniversary. Um, I got a, a trip to Hawaii for her and we went and she was so excited to see the plumerias. And mm. um, and so that and so that kind of got me into it. Um, we went to Orlando once I was speaking at an internet conference and we drove to Tampa to a big plumeria nursery. And that was, that really got me into it. It was because the guy spent two hours with us, showing us around and talking about him. And I was wow. just, I was hooked. So I came home. I'm like, do you mind if I start taking care of him? She goes, no, go ahead. And so, so we got into it and, you know, and I kept, you know, as most addictions, I kept buying plants and buying plants. And, you know, <laughs> oh, I got to have that one. Facebook did not help with that with the plumeria groups. You see the new great one from Thailand or Florida or wherever. And it's like, I got to have that. So, um, yeah, so our collection (laughs) increased and, um, we started planting them in the ground here. You know, we're blessed here with two acres on Mount Helix and, and they just went crazy. They loved it here. And, Mm. um, and so then I started, you know, selling them just to pay for our expenses in, in maintaining them. And right. so I did that, uh, did that for, um, uh, you know, for, for quite a while. And then, uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic in March, right. It was the last day of March and, um, the company I worked with, uh, they basically had three markets, real estate agents, universities, and sports teams. And in that month, all three of those worlds shut down, completely <sighs> shut down. And so I'm in marketing, I'm doing the sales reports and I'm like, oh, this isn't good. And oh, I'll never, forget, I'll never forget this day. We, I was with lunch with one of the creative directors and, and we're, we're sitting there and we're watching the TV. It's a sports stuff. And it says MLB announces cancellation. NHL uh, announces case. I mean, we're just like, oh, this is bad. And right. so we went back and started. So anyway, yeah, they, they laid off more than a third of the company. And I was part of that and pretty freaked out. And Stacy just kind of, you know, gave me not a literal slap in the face, but it's like, hey, there's nothing you can do right now. Nobody's mm-hmm. hiring. There's nothing. So go outside and leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And so I just went outside and started, you know, working with the plumerias more. And, and um, so, um, so that, you know, was a year of just doing that and having fun outside. And then, um, and then uh, last year, it was kind of like, you know, I had friends encourage us and went, why don't you just make this full time? You know, why don't you, mm. why don't, why don't you make this your career? Maybe your, you know, your last career of your life. And so we started, you know, testing stuff last year and classes and those kind of things. And everything just just blew up. And oh. um, we did a we did a sale here last um, September, had over a thousand people that came over two days. 
and uh, we had 15 vendors. Yeah, it was it was crazy. So, you know, it, it is it is wild, Barry, because you look back and, and you just go, yeah. OK, all the experience I had with the media, all the experience I had with YS and the events, all of that stuff just plays right into right. this job. It's because obviously, yes, there's the farmer side of this. You know, which none of that. Or I, I tell people that knew me back in those years, they're like, "You're a what? You? I never would have thought you would go out and get your hands dirty." And it's true, you know. And uh, so, um, you know, so yeah. So there's that part, but then there's the side of that. I have to promote my business. I have to do events, and uh, it's been crazy. So, um, yeah, it's been really, it's been awesome. I've met so many great people. And like I said, just been blessed beyond years of um, just have some dear, dear friends that, and I, you know, you look back, yeah, the plumerias are nice, but the people are a lot better. Mm. How many different kinds of flowers now do you have on your property? So, well, we have a, almost 300 planted in the ground and we probably got another few hundred in pots um, of that. We, we have probably close to probably just under two, uh, 300, maybe 275 different varieties. So, so are you supplying vendors and people or? or So we're basically, we're just doing direct sales ourselves. Um, We've been asked by many people to do wholesale and that type of thing, but I really don't need to because I sell out of retail every year. So, you know, we have, we have sources in the spring that we get cuttings from when they cut the branches off. And so then we have a cutting sale in April and then what's left, we pot up and we root over summer and we sell that in the fall. And so that's kind of our cycle. But in that we're doing classes all the time. So I do a plumeria one-on-one class. I go to hmm. nurseries and do it. Um, and then I do it here as well. Um, and then I, uh, um, you know, I do some consultations. I go to people's places and help them, you know, with their plants you know, we trim trees, uh, there's, you know, all kinds of services that we have. And then the whole other side is, um, we do, uh, Stacy does lay making classes, which is really fun. It's a blast. Okay. And, um, you know, we get a lot of people that, you know, it's, you know, mom and grandma and, you know, daughters and, you know, and mom and, you know, all, all these, and, and a lot of couples, a lot of married couples come, that's pretty special, but what it has, expanded us to is just a whole nother like oh my gosh god can you bless us anymore and that is in the polynesian community um mm. because uh Poly- there's you know polynesian dance is huge around the country there's actually the largest polynesian festival in the world here in san diego every september Didn't know that. um mm. yeah and so we connected with a gal that was the head of one of these groups eight nine years ago now and she had the vision of using plumerias as part of their costumes. Costumes are a huge part of this. It's mm-hmm. actually, you know, there's a lot of competitions and they actually judge the costumes as well. And so I'll never forget um, talking to uh, a guy who's a renowned photographer in that world. And they did this big festival and, and hear her girls come out in these, you know, beautiful costumes wearing plumerias everywhere. And, uh, and everybody's like, whoa, because they'd never seen it before. And so at the end of their performance, there's all these plumerias all over the, the ground and all the stage guys are like, we don't know what to do. This has never happened before, you know? So, um, and then we were blessed one year, uh, well, it was two years ago, the last time they had it, 
um, to be able to go and see her group perform. And we were very emotional. It was a very emotional experience to uh, just see the beauty that it added um, to these costumes and to know that it was something from our yard. And Ah. uh, yeah, so we have, we have um, uh, made many friends there and uh, really come to love their culture. Uh, It's, um, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful culture. They, in, in Hawaii, they have a word called mana. Mana can mean many things, but it's kind of the spiritual vibe. We've had so many Hawaiians come here and just talk about the mana. Mm. And I mean, we get people call and say, I just need to walk around your farm today. I'm having a rough time. And wow. uh, it reminds them of home. And, and that's, oh. that's a part of, of, of this we never anticipated and, and, right. and have been so, so enriched. And uh, gosh, it's, it's just amazing. I, you know, I just blown away at what God does. So the people that you have met and you work with have really kind of blown you away. You never, ever expected that, did you? No, I, we didn't even know that world existed. And, and then to meet these people and to, to feel their mana. I mean, it's like Stacy was, uh, she's, we're making some things for a wedding this Saturday and she's, she's learning a new technique for a particular, it's a, it's called a tea leaf lay. Tea is one of the beautiful big leaves you find in the, in the tropics and, uh, and you, you braid it basically. And she's learning a new, a new, um, uh, technique. And this gal in Hawaii had this wonderful video and she's teaching you. And as she's doing it, cause it takes a while. So you got to fill in and she's talking and she said, Please understand that when you're making this, you have to be in a good place. You know, you can't be mad at your husband. You can't be mad at your kids. You can't be upset at things at work because that passes through what you are making this gift you're giving someone. And it's such a beautiful thing. And, and even, and even they, they don't, you don't throw these things away. You never throw Mm -hmm. away anything you've received away. And so you, you'll see, we have this big olive tree out there. We've got lays hanging all of them there. Were, you know, the flowers have died and, and, uh, but you know, it's just, it's just part of this, this, uh, culture that this, this, this intuitiveness that, you know, we just don't see here in America, you yeah. know, and, uh, it, it's, it's really a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, oh, and here's a crazy thing. This will blow your mind. So. Growing up, I, you know, my mom had three sisters and, and uh, one of them married a, a Hawaiian and his parents were, he was a Navy captain and a full, you know, full blooded, you know, Hawaiian woman. And which was very common, of course, back in, in those days, we always called his mom, his, his mom, Grammy. And she was just this <laughs> little slight, you know, Hawaiian woman, just so amazing. And we didn't really get to Norwell till later in life when we got into Plumerias and she'd come to the Plumeria Society meetings. Well, it, and again, we didn't find out her full history until she passed away. Come to find out she was part of the Bray family, which was a very famous family in Hawaiian history. Daddy Bray played guitar and, and the girls danced and they were huge all over the Hawaiian islands. And they ended up uh, traveling with the Glenn Miller Band. 
This was oh, a big thing. The, the big bands would would bring these Hawaiian groups with them all over the world, and they were the biggest in 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 England. England loved them. Wow. And but the cool thing was is that you know if you remember in the Hawaiian island history. Um, especially on the Mormon side and the Christian missionary side, they kind of shut down all the grass skirt thing and, you know, the coconut bra deal and everybody had to wear the long, long dresses. And they finally just shut down hula. They stopped the dance for a hundred years. And it was daddy Bray that talked the King into bringing it back. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Is that crazy? I mean, that's not part of my blood, but it's part of my family. And Oh my gosh, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't tell you how that just plays into all these things we're doing now. It's just amazing. Yeah. You know? Well, I had learned watching, uh, I believe it was a, a, a video that someone had produced that interviewed you and your wife. Mm-hmm. And I saw that you guys have opportunities to create different colors Tell us a little bit about that process. Well, there's there's a couple a couple ways. One is um, growing seeds. So when a seed pod opens, you can germinate them and grow them. And the interesting thing is, you know, unlike many other plants, where it's called they bloom true. So if I get it off an orange plant, it's going to have an orange bloom. What's different is every seed is like children, our children. Each one has a unique DNA. It's a brand new cultivar of plumeria. So that's why you can never count how many plumeria cultivars there are. And so, so, you know, so you, you, you get these seeds and you germinate them and you, sometimes you have to grow them for years until they bloom. Hmm. But when they bloom, you are the first person in human history to see that new cultivar. You know, it's, yeah, this friend of mine, he's, he owns the largest plumeria nursery in, in the countries in South Florida. And he told me that, and I'm like, Okay, I need to do this. And so I've done it and I'm, and I'm in the process of naming it for all my granddaughters, you know, each one for granddaughters because you can name them because they're brand new. Mm. So that's yeah. one way. But the other the other thing that you do and it's not so much blending and this this is the cool part is grafting. And actually a friend of mine was the first one to graft plumerias back in the 70s and he had gone to a fruit tree grafting class. And so, you know, maybe you go to Home Depot and you see a tree and it has a bunch of different uh, orange varieties or apricot varieties on it, you know, or even plums and apricots or, you know, that kind of thing. So that's grafting. And so he applied it to plumerias and he taught me years ago how to do it. And so you basically just take a, a plant that's existing and you cut the top off and you take a branch of, of another one. So for instance, it's maybe a rare one or it doesn't root very well. And so you're going to take that and you're going to graft it to that root, that rootstock. And in about a month or so, it's going to start putting out, uh, putting out leaves. Mm. So it's, that's really changed our, you know, the way that we grow because uh, the stuff that's harder to grow, um, we can now propagate much easier. Mm -hmm. So those are, yeah, those, I mean, if you're running a business like this, you gotta, you gotta figure out how to do those things. Mike, what are those lessons that you've learned that you you wouldn't have learned any other way? Well, I could tell you that working out there is definitely therapy. It's like people ask, Mike, how do you plant almost three, or how do you water almost 300 plants in the ground? And I said, by hand. And they're like, you're insane. I'm like, no, I need it. 
Mm. You know, I can't be on my phone. I can't be talking to somebody. It's, it's just me, you know, and sometimes it's me and me and sometimes it's me and God. Mm. Um, and, uh, so that's a, that's an important thing for me. And if I, if I set out some kind of irrigation system, I'd be a, a lesser person as a result. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, just the, just the process of, of doing this stuff, you know, it's exciting, you know, because you, you grow these seeds and, and, and it's interesting to see all the different varieties of them. And, and then you, you know, and, and you get a, a cutting from somebody that's really rare and you just rejoice when, when it, you know, when it takes off. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, uh, you know, I'll never forget it. I had to quarantine for almost six months after my, my transplant. Oh, so when we had to start quarantining after COVID, it was like, this is nothing, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so I already, I already very well rehearsed in that. But one of the things is, you know, there's things that you have to stay away. And one is they're the dirtiest things. They're animals and, uh, flowers and soil. So that was tough. And so finally, after, you know, a few months, I talked to my doctor and I'm like, okay, this is killing me. I got to get back out and do something. And he's like, okay, you got to wear long sleeves, full glove, got to have your whole face and, and, and nose cover the whole thing. And you should have seen me, man. It was like someone in a snowstorm, you know, out there <laughs> totally covered and, and working on the plants. And oh. it was like, oh, I, I know that was part of helping my recovery. So, um, that was, uh, that was pretty crazy. But then about six months, right at the end of the quarantine, I had helped organize an international uh, plumeria conference in Naples, Florida. It was great. Cause I, you know, was at home and didn't have a lot to do. And so I helped these guys, you know, all good friends, uh, organize this conference. And of course I wanted to go like crazy it really came down. We bought the tickets and did everything, but it came down to the week before. And my doctor said, all right, you're good. And man, I went, it was hard because I it certainly was you know, still really fatigued and everything else. Sure. But, but um, you know, we did it at the Naples Botanical Gardens, one of the most beautiful places on earth. And they had this one area that had, um, oh my gosh, I totally lost the name which uh, the bed you hang between two trees, hammock, a hammock. And so when I got tired, I just go out and I'd lay on the hammock, you know, and take a nap and get caught up. But I ended up emceeing it. I did a, I did a, a class. I, in, I moderated some stuff. And so I was out in that hammock quite a bit in between the, you know, those <laughs> things. Um, but man, that just filled my soul and met all these amazing plumerians from all over the world. We have people from France in Australia, New Zealand, you know, everywhere. It was, it was amazing and uh, made so many good friends that I still have today. So that was amazing. Uh, yeah, that was, that was a total blessing after all of that. Well, Mike, the way that you shared and talked about what you're doing with plumerians and the special flower that they are, I couldn't help to think, of relationships and my contact today with you has been the same thing. Um, there is so much that you give and there's so much that you, you know, so many talents and abilities that you have over all these years, I've watched you and, uh, it has been really a joy to 
to connect with you today, and I appreciate you sharing your story. Is there anything that you would like to share with my listeners if they're interested in this or how to get a hold of a website? What what comes to mind? Well, you know, we're Atkinson Plumeria is the name of the company. We're on all the social stuff, and then you know we have a website, so that's fine. But I, I'd really like to leave with something that that I hope encourages people. Um, you know, when when I got this diagnosis, um, my wife Stacy and I sat down and decided that we were not going to let this, you know, kind of define who we are. That we were going to mm-hmm. rise above it, and um, and that was our theme. As hard as it was, many times to do, mm-hmm. we did. And um, I, I kind of got into some spiritual practices, and one of them was uh, recommended by a friend. Um, and he said, just every night when your head hits the, hits the pillow, even if it's only this, just say, thank you for today, God. <sighs> there were a lot of days that I was not thankful. And I said it through clenched teeth, but I said it. And I would say uh, gratefulness was the absolute number one thing that I learned through all of this. Um, that, uh, it didn't matter what happened or how it went. You know, what I didn't tell you was I had two rejection episodes after I got my kidney transplant, you Mm. know, and, um, just the depression that came back from that. This was all for nothing. Mm. It was, you know, there were hard, hard days, dialysis that I did for 10 months, you know, all that stuff was, were hard, but every night I did that and I do it still to this day. And no matter what the day brought, um, I, I still find a way to be thankful. And um, mm. it's 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 hard to do and oh, so necessary in our world today. Wow. Well, I thank you, um, like I said, for sharing. But uh, you have done well with your challenges and you're not focusing on where you're not. You're focusing on where you are and being thankful and where you're going. And I could hear that in your voice today. Well, my friend, I, I see it in you as well. You've had your challenges. Mm. And um, I know we could probably sit for hours and talk about all the, <laughs> the similarities in, in our journey. Um, and I've watched you obviously through the years. And you also have touched so many people. Mm. It's something you just look at and go, man, I don't know how God did that through me, but he did. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, Mike, uh, I love you. Thanks for coming on. And I'll be uh, watching you on Facebook and Instagram and see if you can develop or flower uh, with our name on it someday. (laughs) (laughs) The young, the young plumeria. That's right. <laughs> uh, oh, that's man. awesome, buddy. Love you too, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. It was just great to catch up. Certainly was. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Are you aware that each episode has show notes? Some will have special links and resources. Please add your comments and do share this with those you know. This is the My New Norm podcast, and I am still your host, Barry Scott Young.